Good morning. I am Ben Schultz. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Welcome to Family Life Church. If I haven't had a chance to welcome you, wonderful to be here with you this morning. How many of you can remember when you were younger? Right. Let me jog your memory. Um, when you were younger, do you remember that life was always unfair? Do you remember that your parents made lots of rules for you, and those rules didn't make any sense at all, right? And your teachers gave you homework, and that homework was just a waste of time. Does anybody, does this, remember, anyone remember this stage in life when everything is unfair and everyone's against you? And you knew at that age that if only the adults were as smart as you, they would understand that these rules are dumb and unnecessary. Does anyone remember that stage in life? But then, as you get a little older, if you got a little older, a little more mature, you began to realize that actually some of those rules, some of those requirements were good for you. I don't know about you, I did some dumb things when I was a teenager. Fortunately, I never really got in any trouble with the law, but the closest I ever came is one time I did get yelled at by a cop. I want to tell you that story. Um, it was the 4th of July here in town, and as we do on the 4th of July, we have a carnival um, at the park, and I was with a group of my friends on the 4th of July, and we were walking down Brooklyn Street. We were on our way to the carnival at the park, and if you've ever, if you've ever been there before, you'll know on all of the streets that surround the park on the 4th of July, there are these white signs that are taped to every single pole that say, no parking by order of the chief of police. And so I was walking with a group of my friends and a young girl that I was trying to impress. I knew she would be impressed by this. And I went and I grabbed one of those signs off of the post. And I was like, ha ha, I'm brave enough to steal this sign. <clears throat> and I didn't realize that there was a police car parked right across the street. And he came out of his car and he came running over and he started yelling at me. And I remember he even like, he like, took down my name, and he asked me where I lived, and he was like, I better not see you out here again. And I was thinking, like, I remember thinking, like, bro, like, you're overreacting over a piece of paper. Like, just chill out, okay? It's a paper sign. Let's let it go. But, you know, when I think back about that, my perspective is different. And I, send, I see his point of view. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if your boss said, hey, you're on, you're on sign duty today, you're going to walk around the park all afternoon and tack up these signs. And you spend all day walking around, tacking up signs to an electric pole. You finally get done. You turn around, and what do you see? Some idiot teenagers pulling your sign off of the post. Of course you're going to lose your cool in that moment. So the way I think about it, I reflect back, I think about it, I realize, yeah, I see his point of view. At some point, as we grow older we realize that the rules and the regulations that we hate so much can actually be for our own good. If you haven't got there yet, someday that will happen for you, hopefully. So, we have been studying in the book of Galatians, and today we are looking at chapter 3. Now, you will remember uh, that the book of Galatians is actually a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul to all of the churches that were in the area of Galatia. And Paul wrote this letter to those churches primarily to address some false teaching that was going around in those churches. The false teaching that Paul is confronting is this. They were saying 
to become a Christian, you have to believe in Jesus. And you also have to follow these Jewish practices. And Paul was adamant, very strongly opposed, and he said, no, salvation comes only by believing in Jesus. And those other things are unnecessary. So we're going to look at chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably some in in the chairs in front of you. You can pull one out. We're going to be looking at chapter 3. We'll look at a couple different things that Paul teaches us there. Chapter 3 focuses primarily on the law. The law, this is something that Paul teaches about a lot in his writings. But specifically in Galatians chapter 3, that's the primary focus is what is the law and what do we do with that? So that's what we're going to look at here this morning. Paul uses this term, the law. What does he mean by that? He is referring to the law of Moses. Now, when I say law of Moses, you're probably thinking of the Ten Commandments. This is what God gave Moses to give to the children uh, of Israel. He gave it to him on Mount Sinai, like in a, in a cloud of thunder and, and, uh, and lightning. And God gave him these Ten Commandments. But actually, if you go back and you read in Leviticus and in Numbers and where that account is, you realize there's actually a lot more than ten. There are ten commandments, but then there's chapters and chapters of very specific instructions about uh, what you can eat and where you can eat it and what you can wear and if you're going to offer sacrifices, where you can offer your sacrifices and how and what and when and very specific instructions about how they were to live. So when Paul uses the term law, he's talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about all of these things. He's talking about all of these specific instructions. But I think Paul is speaking more generally about this mindset of follow the rules. I call that a law mindset. Paul is addressing the law mindset that their culture had adapted. The law mindset says, if I do the right things, then God will be pleased and he will bless me. And if I do the wrong things, God will be displeased and he will punish me. And that's the law mindset. I must do what is right and then I'll make God happy. But if I do what is wrong, God will be angry. So I better do all of the right things. Let's take a moment right here, actually, let's pause, and address the obvious question that you might be thinking, which is, what does Paul's thoughts on the law of Moses have to do with me? And is anyone thinking that? Like Paul is writing to churches in Galatia in the first century about a law that was written by Moses years and years before. What does that have to do with me? We are not facing the same issues that the churches in Galatia were facing. There's not a group of Judaizers in the parking lot waiting to confront you about your views on circumcision and eating pork. We don't live in that same society, right? And we don't have this law of Moses that's hanging over our heads like they did. So what, well, how does this apply to us? We don't have the law of Moses, but I believe we still have a law mindset that pervades our thinking. We have a law mindset that gets stuck in our heads. We all have this understanding. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you probably have this idea that um, 
I have to do things that make God happy, and I have to avoid doing things that make God upset. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you probably have that thought, and that's a law mindset, and that's what Paul is addressing. Now, I know that salvation is not a work of man. Salvation is a gift of God. It's by grace alone. It's by faith in Jesus. It has nothing to do with what I do. But I also know that I have a tendency to forget, and I have a tendency to think, you know, if I read my Bible, if I go to church, if I give money to needy people, then God will love me a little bit more. But if I watch YouTube instead of reading my Bible, if I skip church to go to the Bills game, if I save my money and I gamble at a casino, maybe God will love me a little bit less. You see how the law mindset creeps in to our thinking? Now, I'm not saying that that's correct. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying everyone thinks that way. I'm admitting to you that even though my head knows the truth about the gospel, my heart forgets. My head knows, but my heart believes a lie that I've got to please God. My heart believes this lie that I'm not quite good enough all of the time and I've got to keep working to make God happy. Don't raise your hands, but does anyone in this room feel that same thing? Does anyone in this room ever get stuck in that lie? And that's what Paul is addressing here in Galatians 3, this law mindset. So, Paul's talking about the law. What does Paul have to say about the law? I want to jump right into verse 11. Galatians 3, verse 11, makes it black and white. He says, clearly, no one is justified by the law. Clearly, no one is justified by the law. No one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous shall live by faith. And he goes on in the following verses to explain further. And what Paul's explaining is that the problem is not that it's impossible for someone who keeps the law perfectly to be justified. He's saying it's impossible to keep the law perfectly. So no one can be justified by the law. Now, I don't know every one of you. You might be a great person. You might be very generous and very helpful to your neighbors and pay your taxes and work hard. And I'm sure your mom is proud of you. But the fact is that every one of us has a bad day where we don't always do what we need to do. Even Mother Teresa had a bad day. And we might do well. We might keep most of the law. But none of us are capable of keeping the law perfectly. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I've learned is that even when I do well, even when I'm being very obedient to the Lord and I'm not sinning and I'm being kind and loving to everybody and I'm on track, I start to feel real good. I feel proud of myself. Maybe a little judgmental of other people who aren't quite as good as me. And oh, you just can't win. You just can't win. Reminds me of a card game that my brothers used to play, and I only played this card game with them once, but they used to play this card game, and here's how it goes. They say, listen, we're going to play a card game. Come play with us. Just Rules are real simple. Just follow along. You'll catch on. We sit down. They deal out the cards. They look at me. That's a penalty. One point for not playing. What? So then I go to play. Penalty for playing out of turn. Then my brother plays a card. So then I draw a card. Penalty for drawing a card incorrectly. 
Penalty for asking about the rules. Penalty for not knocking on the table twice. Penalty for not playing a red card when you could have played a black card. Penalty for not playing two. What is the point of this game? The point of the game is that you lose no matter what you do. The point is not to win. The point is to humiliate whatever idiot agrees to play cards with them. I quickly realized I was never going to win this game because the rules are designed to make you fail. And the same thing is true about the law. It's designed to make us fail. That's what it feels like if we're trying to keep the law. It feels like, I can't do this. I've been set up to fail. So that brings us to the question that Paul asks in verse 19. You look at 19, you'll see the question Paul asks. He says, so what is the purpose of the law? Why did God give his people a law that he knew it would be impossible for them to fulfill? Is he just like playing a joke on us like my brothers were? What is this? So to fully understand this, we need the briefest overview of Jewish history. Follow me here. Real Real quick overview of Jewish history to help us understand the purpose of the law. It starts with Father Abraham. You guys remember Father Abraham? What did Father Abraham have? He had many sons. Before Father Abraham had many sons, he had zero sons. And when Abraham had zero sons, God came to him. God came to an old man with no sons, and he said, I'm making you a promise. I promise your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. And one of your descendants, no, from your descendants, the whole world will be blessed. God promised that to a man with no children. Your descendants will outnumber the stars and they will bless the entire world. So then Abraham has a son, his son has a son, his son has 12 sons. The whole thing snowballs. Next thing you know, they're a whole nation of people. And they're starting to grow and they're this big nation. But they have not yet blessed the whole world. So the promise has not been fulfilled. This is where the law comes in. This is where the law of Moses first appears. God sees this nation of people 400 years after he gave a promise to Abraham. He comes to Moses and he says, here are some laws to uh, safeguard the people until this promise is fulfilled. And Paul makes this very clear in verses 16 and 17 of Galatians 3. He says, the law does not replace the promise. The law does not replace the promise. He's not saying, you know what? No more promise, just rules. He said, no, these laws are going to safeguard you temporarily until your promise is fulfilled. By the way, I have some really good news for you. You probably didn't know this. I'm excited to get to tell you this, but you have a long-lost wealthy uncle. Um, He is a multimillionaire. He is an investment banker. That's probably why you don't know about him. Your family doesn't like to talk about him. Um, And he's he's been away, traveling the world, looking after his investments. But your uncle has taken an interest in you. He thinks you're really smart, and he really likes where you're headed. And so your uncle promised he's going to give you a million dollars. In fact, he didn't just promise it. He said, you know what? Let's do it. And he got up. He had his lawyers draw up the paperwork. He signed it, it's official, 
He's promised you a million dollars. And he said, you know what? I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to move back home. And I want to show you how to invest a million dollars. So you don't just spend through a million dollars, but you make money with that million. And then you can live comfortably on the interest payments. You can live comfortably and still have money. You can give money away. You can save money for retirement. You can save money for your children. You, you'll have more money if I show you how to manage the money well. This should be great news, right? Now, unfortunately, it's going to take him a little while. He's got to sell a few houses, wrap up some things with his business. He won't be able to move back home for maybe a year or so. But the money is already in account for you, okay? That promised money, it's there for you, it's yours, and he's coming to help you invest it. But your uncle is a little worried that you might blow through a million dollars before he gets back, okay? He's worried you might buy some boats and some cars and um, more shoes than any one person should have in a closet or something like that. So he said, listen, I'm just going to put a few restrictions on the money until I get there, okay? So you can only withdraw up to $1,000 at a time. Let's keep it reasonable. And any money you withdraw, I want you to write a budget about what, how you're going to spend the money and then keep your receipts just so we can make sure that you spent it properly, okay? There's a few rules to make sure you're not wasting your money until I get there. That way, when your uncle gets there, there will actually be some money left to, to invest. That sounds pretty fair. That sounds pretty reasonable, right? What I want you to understand is that your uncle's rules, your uncle's restrictions, they don't erase the $1,000. They don't mean you don't have money. You still have it. He's just safeguarding it until he can get there. And once your uncle arrives and he says, hey, here's how you manage your money. Here's what you should buy and shouldn't buy. And here's what you should invest in and what you should invest in. Now you're free to withdraw as much as you want and spend it how you want and do what you want with it. Now, obviously, this is disappointing because that's not a true story. It's just an analogy. It's an analogy of what Paul is trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us that the promise came first and law was added to safeguard the promise until it was fulfilled. Are you guys tracking with me here? So, the question, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to point us back to the promise. The law points us back to the promise. So I want to remind you about the promise because that is more important than any rules or restrictions or requirements. What did God promise us? He promised Abraham that his descendants would outnumber the stars, and that from his descendants, the whole world would be blessed, right? And the promise of the whole world being blessed by Abraham's descendants was fulfilled, not by a nation of Abraham's descendants, but by one person. Who is one person who is a descendant of Abraham that has blessed the whole world? Jesus, yes, Jesus fulfills the promise that God made to Abraham. He is a descendant of Abraham, and he has blessed the whole world, not just the Jews, but everybody who's living. And in fact, everybody who ever has lived and anybody who will live is blessed in Jesus. And this is what Paul says. If you look in verse 24, he says, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. 
The law leads us to Christ. The law was not given to make us godly people. The law was given to show us what God expects and then to convince us that we could never live up to it. That law mindset that's in the back of your head of like, ooh, I've got to do good things to make God happy. That mindset is not there to make you a good person. That mindset is simply there so you will know that you can never do it on your own. It's there to, to uh, if, if that sounds a little bit discouraging, like this is what God wants and I'm never going to be able to do it. If that sounds discouraging, then good, because it's supposed to be discouraging. It's supposed to discourage you from trying to please God on your own because you can't do it. It's supposed to encourage you to stop trusting in yourself and trust in Jesus because what you could never accomplish on your own is fully accomplished when you put your faith in Jesus. You never be good enough on your own, but when you put your faith in Jesus like that, it's accomplished. I love this stuff. In verse 25, the next verse, it says, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the law. You see that? We are no longer under the law. We are no longer driven by a law mindset because the promise has come, because faith has come. I want you to catch this, so I made it really simple for you guys like this. Before faith, we were under the law. After faith, we are in Christ meaning we are no longer under that law anymore. Before faith, under the law. After faith, in Christ. And to be under the law is a terrible thing. But to be in Christ, that is a wonderful thing. That's a good thing. In the next couple of verses in Galatians, Paul goes on, and, and I could spend a long time here, but for the sake of time, I won't. But he goes on to explain the blessings of faith and Jesus, and he says, in Christ, we have become sons of God. Now, calling you a son of God, what that means is that means you have a position of significance. You have a position of great significance in the family of God. You have a position of authority. You belong. Nobody can question your importance and your value in God's family. Not because you earned it or because you, you proved it, but because you're in Christ. We are clothed with Christ. Like, I like to envision, like, I have a coat that says Jesus on it. I'm clothed in Christ. Meaning that whatever's in your past, whatever's, whatever shame you're feeling, whatever embarrassment you're feeling, whatever fear you're feeling, whatever doubts you're feeling, it's all covered. You are clothed by Jesus. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin, the past, the problems, the, the whatever. He sees Christ because you are clothed in Christ. That's the, the character that you are now uh, wearing. We are all one in Christ. And that means no Christian is closer to God than any other Christian. Hear me say this. No one Christian is any closer to God than any other Christian. I don't care how many times you read your Bible or how many times you go to church or, or what you, it doesn't matter. We are all one in Christ. And Paul, he, he says this very specifically. He says there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no man or woman, there's no slave or master. We are all one in Christ. And we belong to Christ. We belong 
to Christ. We are his and nothing can change that. The enemy's gonna come to you and he's gonna say things like, you don't really belong here. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? And you don't have to prove anything to him because if your faith is in Jesus, then you belong to Christ. We have received the promise that God made to Abraham. So, what does this mean for us? It means that we have been invited to new life in Christ. New life, it's not a lifestyle of following rules. It's not a lifestyle of, lifestyle of trying to be good. We have been invited to a lifestyle of following Jesus. And if I'm following Jesus, then I'm already good enough. God is already pleased. Hear me say that. If I'm following Jesus, then God is already pleased. So let me put it to you like this. Focus on following Jesus, not on following rules. Focus on following Jesus, not on following rules. I'll give you a really good example of this. I grew up as a Christian in a Christian, Christian family, a Christian home. Um, and I learned at a young age that all good Christians read their Bible. And the best Christians are the ones who read through the whole Bible in a year. Has anyone here ever read through the whole Bible in a year? And I decided that I was going to do that. So I got one of these little booklets that has, it breaks it all down for you, and it gives you every date of the year. And then next week it will give you um, the number of chapters you need to read in order to finish the whole Bible in a year. And importantly, right next to the date, there's a checkbox. So that when you read, you can check off that you've read. Uh, and so I read through the Bible in a year, and I checked off every day that I did. And if I missed a day, I went back, and I read that. If I missed a week, I had to spend all afternoon catching up <laughs> to make sure I got that. And listen, don't hear, don't hear me wrong. That was a really important season in my life, and I grew a lot. I grew closer to the Lord. I learned more about my faith. I learned more about um, the Bible. But after a couple of years of doing that, suddenly I realized checking off of that box became more important than actually spending time with God. And the goal became to check off the right number of boxes. And it wasn't to meet him and to hear him and, and to know him. And then I had a couple of years in, I had this beautiful revelation. Jesus is not keeping track of my Bible reading. If you haven't had that realization yet, I want you to get this. Jesus isn't keeping track of your Bible reading. He doesn't care if you read three chapters or three verses or one verse. He doesn't care if you read it in a year or if it takes you 10 years to read it. What Jesus wants is relationship. He wants time with you. He wants to hear what you have to say and he wants you to listen to what he is saying. And the Bible is a very important tool in that happening, but it's not the only thing. It's not the main thing. So when I had this revelation, it was like a light bulb went on for me. Like, I don't have to read three and a half chapters a day to make God happy. It doesn't even matter how much I read. That first year that revelation came, I think it took me like six months to read the book of James because I was just reading a verse or two at a time and then talking to God about it. And it was so freeing. It was so life-giving. And I realized I'm not in trouble for not reading the whole thing. I can read just a little bit, and that's totally okay. I can skip a day, and he's not mad at me. I found great freedom 
in ignoring the rules and following Jesus. So I want to invite you this morning to join me in ignoring the rules and following Jesus. I want to invite you to focus on following Jesus and not on following rules. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And the funny thing is, I can't tell you how to respond because that would be giving you a rule and I'm not going to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just a quick moment. Bow your head, close your eyes, whatever helps you. um, Take a moment. And if it's in your heart to follow Jesus, just ask him, where are you and how do you want me to follow you this week? Where are you going and how can I follow you this week? Something pops in your head, maybe write it down so you don't forget. Make a note on your phone or something. For some of you, it might be, I should start reading my Bible more. For some of you, it might be, I do need to attend church more often. For some of you, it might be, I do need to pray. But for some of you, it might be something different. It might be talking to a family or a loved one. Inviting somebody over. <clears throat> making a phone call you need to make. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your love to us. And we choose this morning to follow you, not rules, not laws. We pray that you would set us free from a law mindset. Help us to hear what what you're doing, what you're calling us to, and to be obedient. We love you very much. Amen. Amen. Um, I pray you are blessed this week. I challenge you to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.